Hey ladies and gents and welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. As always, I'm your host Jared Weich. Dom not with me this week, he's a little bit busy, so it's a solo episode. Either way, we're going to be talking about everything happening in video games. Pretty big week. Tons of PlayStation stuff to talk about with their state of play. Tons of Xbox news to talk about with their numerous blog posts and updates via Twitter. And we have some sales updates from both Take-Two and Nintendo. So it's going to be interesting to get into those as well. I do have some grounded impressions coming up near the end of the podcast. So stay tuned for those if you're interested to hear my thoughts on the early access preview of that survival game based in a... Honey, I Shrunk the Kids style, inspired, inspired, inspired universe. Um, I was going to say altered and inspired, so it kind of mushed into one. Either way, stay tuned for that. But let's hop into this news. First up in the rundown, we have an update on Take-Two's sales. So they um, kind of came out to their investors and talked about exactly how well their games have been doing. A long list, including a bunch of the games they've published, but some of the highlights I wanted to cover is first up GTA 5 has reached 135 million units sold which is it's incredible but it's not surprising that game pops up in the MPD top 20 every month since it's released um and we recently saw with the unveiling of the PlayStation 5 during that PS5 June event it opened the show for them and it's coming to next gen consoles as well so it's going to be on three generations of consoles it was on Xbox 360 PS3 then obviously it was ported over to Xbox 1 PS4 and now it's going to be on Xbox Series X and PS5. Incredible stuff. That game just continues to sell. It. I'm more interested to see where GTA 6 ends up holding up because if the rumors are true that it takes place in Vice City, I wonder if a retro-style game will sell as much as a modern take on the franchise. It'll be um wild to see how it does. Anyways, next up, speaking of Rockstar Games, Red Dead Redemption 2, doing pretty well for itself as well. 32 million units sold for that game, which is quite a feat considering it is a old-timey western open world game you know it doesn't have the appeal of the modern day kind of style of game that they do with gta where there's flashy cars and buildings and all that stuff helicopters so it's really nice to see red dead selling 32 million units is still a lot i know by comparison gta sold over 100 million more so it might not seem like a whole lot but you know it is for a video game 32 million is a really good uh, amount of units to sell for a single property, especially one that doesn't have the online legs that GTA Online does. Next up, people forget Private Division uh, is a division of Take-Two, and it's their aim at publishing smaller indie titles. And they publish Outer Worlds, obviously, before Obsidian Entertainment was acquired by Microsoft. And that game's now sold 2.8 million copies, which is huge. And I also think that points to the DLC probably going to be successful that they recently announced. Uh, Perils on Gorgon, I believe is what it's called. On top of the fact that Microsoft now has cachet with the brand, we've found out that Obsidian owns Outer Worlds. It's not a private division property. So moving forward, Microsoft can handle the publishing on that. And with 2.8 million copies already sold without the backing of Microsoft behind them, I think Outer Worlds can turn into something really great. I think the problems with that game were a byproduct of budget and timeline and not so much the talent that obsidian has because we've seen them knock it out of the park with fallout new vegas so i think it's just a matter of the i think the outer worlds 2 is going to be way better than the first one but who knows when it's going to come because they're currently working on avowed which looks incredible and it's going to see how it's going to be interesting to see how quickly they green light the follow-up to that game now selling 2.8 million 
units, which is really cool. Nintendo had some sales updates to share as well. And boy, howdy, is it doing good despite people worrying that there's no new games for the system this year and there's nothing looking forward to in the fall outside of the recent announcement of the Pikmin 3 port from the Wii U. But boy, howdy, like I just said, is the Nintendo and its games, the Nintendo Switch selling. So first up, the Nintendo Switch is now at 61.4 million units sold. That's incredible. It's already surpassed the Xbox One's assumed uh, unit sales, which is around 45 to 50 million. Uh, it's not surprising because the Nintendo Switch has had incredible exclusives, but we also have to keep in mind that it's brought together the mobile and console audiences for Nintendo, so it's no surprise that thing is shooting up the boards. Some of the best-selling pieces of video game hardware are the handheld devices, outside of maybe the PlayStation Vita, uh, RIP PlayStation Vita, and Assassin's Creed, or Assassin's Creed, sorry, Animal Crossing New Horizons, which came out this year, and people often forget because they think about, you know, the other big Mario and Zelda titles, but Animal Crossing has been chugging along, and since its release in March, it has sold 22.4 million copies. Put that into perspective. Red Dead Redemption 2 sold 32 million, and that came out in 2018. Assassin's Creed, I don't know why, I, I, when I see AC, I always think Assassin's Creed, and it's my fault for abbreviating it. Animal Crossing selling 22 million units in, what, what is that, March to April, April to May, like four or five months is incredible. Not only that, six first-party games for Nintendo on the Switch have sold 18 million plus units, and three of those have already topped 20 million. Those being Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons, and I don't remember the third one off the top of my head. But the other three are like Super Mario Odyssey, uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield is the fast-selling Pokemon, which is incredible as well. I think it's at 18.3 million units sold. That'll skyrocket as well. Pokemon always sells incredibly well. But yeah, Animal Crossing New Horizons just chugging along to incredible numbers. Nintendo really doesn't need to release any more big games this year. I know people are still hoping that those Super Mario 3D remaster collections are true. We've heard the rumors. It's unclear, you know, if they got delayed because of COVID and everything else happening. People are still holding out hope that they do happen. But regardless of if those games come out or not, Nintendo's fine. Nintendo, their Switch, you can't find them on store shelves. Apparently Animal Crossing New Horizons you can't find on store shelves. And, uh, yeah, just incredible sales numbers from both Take-Two and Nintendo. With COVID, it was a worry that maybe the video game industry could take a hit because people are going to have tighter expendable income. What are they going to do with their money? But as it turns out, people have more time on their hands and they kind of just want to escape what's currently happening with the political uh, sentiment in the United States as well as covid in general around the world and forcing people to kind of stay home and you know spend their time indoors video game business is booming so it's great to see let's hop into there's a playstation state of play that happened today of recording which is august 6th and it was interesting uh, i wouldn't say it was bad i wouldn't say it was spectacular I, I think it was good especially considering playstation did set up expectations appropriately for what this event was going to be they said there's no major ps5 news or announcements it's pretty much going to be updates and extended looks at PS4 titles we have coming down the pipeline. And yeah, it was pretty much that. So what I did, instead of going over beat by beat what happened in the state of play, is about 40 minutes long. 
I wanted to go through my six biggest takeaways from their latest presentation and kind of go over them. I think that's a little bit more interesting because now that we are sitting on what we assume to be the precipice of the event that's going to announce the price and date for the PS5, we can kind of go over what this state of play means in a vacuum for PlayStation moving forward, right? So let's start with the first takeaway. This state of play was focused on gameplay, not surprises or hype announcements. Now, I know I mentioned at the top that PlayStation set their expectations with this and everybody should have been prepared that this was going to be the case. But you know how the internet is, especially Twitter. And they were hoping for a one more thing and they didn't end on a one more thing, which is to me quite surprising. It didn't necessarily need to be, you know, the announcement of God of War 2 or, you know, extended gameplay of Horizon Zero Dawn 2, uh, Forbidden West. Um, but I was expecting maybe a third party surprise, right? We've heard about Silent Hill. We've heard about these other titles and yeah, it was nothing. No more, one more surprises. And I wasn't disappointed because they did set the expectations clearly. I was more surprised because PlayStation has a way of doing that often of, even if it's not a huge announcement for everyone, it's a little bit niche. They do have a one more thing usually. So that was surprising to see. But like I said, they focused on gameplay, showed a lot of extended looks at a lot of really good games. Not all of them spoke to me, but that's not the point of the state of play, right? It's, there's going to be, four or five hopefully things that capture a certain person and maybe everything else isn't for them but it was really solid and there was a ton of gameplay and that's always great to see kind of a problem that almost all the presentations including the playstation june event as well as xbox's two events we've seen some gameplay but these were extended looks and it was really great to see number two crash bandicoot 4 it's about time extended look showcased how it could be how it could end up being the best game in the series now, as someone who's a huge fan of the Crash Bandicoot series, loved the Insane Trilogy remake, absolutely adored it. I have so much childhood nostalgia tied to those games. It's a series my sister and I grew up playing, and obviously as she aged up, she kind of got out of video games, and I continued playing them. But it is a memory we both share with one another, that and Spyro, the Spyro games. And Crash Bandicoot 4 looks like, you know, Toys for Bob knows what they're doing. They understand what makes Crash special, but they're adding a lot of these new features that are giving the series new life. There's additional playable characters, including uh, Neo Cortex, as well as the dinosaur guy, which I can't remember his name. And there's a new mode called inverted mode, which you would assume it just takes the level and inverts them, but it changes the art style too. There's some like neon light type of levels that get changed. There's like some hand drawing, some grainy film style stuff. And it just adds so much replayability to the levels themselves and the game as a whole. It looks crisp, it looks clean, it looks beautiful. Obviously, graphically, the Insane Trilogy looked incredible. I really think that this has a good chance of being the best Crash game ever made. And I know there's jokes in there of like, well, none of the Crash games are good, so it's not that hard of a bar to, you know, pass. But as somebody who loves Crash, I can't wait. Uh, I can't believe we're getting a fourth Crash. I love that they're just ignoring all the other spinoffs and sequels. And Toys for Bob seems like they care and that's what I look for most in these type of projects is that the developer understands and loves what they're working on. And you can tell Toys for Bob is putting their heart and passion behind this as Crash fans themselves. And I can't wait to get my hands on this game. It looks incredible. Early impressions have also said it could be the best uh, Crash game out there. Shout out to Tim Getty. He's a kind of funny, excellent preview on the game. Number three, Spelunky 2 coming September 15th. Gameplay reveal was also shown, and for me, I just hope it hits uh, Xbox and Switch before 2021. 
I was expecting this game to maybe hit late fall, probably 2021. I thought it got pushed. Derek Yu hasn't mentioned a whole lot about the game. Derek Yu, the developer of Spelunky and Spelunky 2 of Moss Mouth Games. I was not expecting a release date this early. As somebody who prioritizes my Xbox, I'm a primary Xbox player, and somebody who has Spelunky in their top five games of all time, maybe I moved it out. I don't remember. You can correct me because we recently did on episode 200 our top 10 games. I don't remember if I moved Spelunky out of my top 10 or not, but either way, it's one of my favorite games of all time. The replay value in that game is astounding. The secrets, it's just such a good roguelike, and I can't wait for the sequel. I'm probably going to, I'm not going to pick it up on PS4. And with this date being so early, September 5th, if you remember when Inside came out on Xbox One, there was about a month of exclusivity before it came to PS4. And obviously it's not the same case because PlayStation 4 has destroyed Xbox in terms of unit sales. So there's not the pressure to get your game on the other platform to get sales. But I do hope that, you know, maybe this exclusivity is a 60 day thing. And when I launch on my Xbox Series X, I can buy Spelunky 2 and play it on next gen, right? Via backwards compatibility or a port. Um, or if you want to play it on Switch as well. I love Spelunky 2. I'm happy that it had this release date because for me, knowing that there's PlayStation 4 exclusivity, uh, at least for launch, the earliest it comes out, that means the sooner I can play it on the, my preferred platform. So really excited about that. Next up, a question Dom and I have been talking about on the podcast for probably the last couple of months is how PSVR support is going to be handled moving forward, especially with the release of PlayStation 5. Are they going to release a PSVR 2? That doesn't seem likely. They seem to basically showcase that they're going to be doubling down on PSVR. This showcase showed some great support for PSVR. Not only did we get the release date for Vader Immortal VR, highly anticipated VR title, which is coming August 25th in the next couple of weeks, and then the entire Hitman trilogy, the new one, which I think they call the World of Assassination trilogy, is going to be playable in VR with the release of Hitman 3 in 2021. I believe February is the date for that. Incredible. To be able to play through those games is going to add a whole new level of immersion to the Hitman franchise. Great support for PSVR to have a whole trilogy of games. That's a lot of content for a platform that doesn't have a whole lot of sales and doesn't have a whole lot of games. And immediately, in my opinion, Hitman, the World of Assassination trilogy is a must own if you own PSVR because that's going to be incredible. Might not be for everybody. Might be a little intense for people to try to kill people, <laughs> other individuals in first person. But boy, howdy, is the PSVR getting an experience. Maybe a little too late, some may argue, but it's coming either way, and that's incredible for those who have invested in that platform and want to check out new virtual reality titles and give them a reason to plug in the headset and you know move things around in their living room so they can play. Awesome. I'm just so happy for the people who invested in it because it wasn't cheap, and it's good to see that there's experiences coming in the next 6 to 12 months for those individuals. Number five. Control teases the Alan Wake-focused DLC called Awe, which I'm assuming stands for Alan Wake Experience or Expansion, which is really clever. Coming August 28th, real close, couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, I love the Alan Wakes back in video games. I really enjoyed Alan Wake. Uh, obviously, it didn't sell that well. Remedy has this tough break of developing these really solid experiences that just don't sell very well, and we don't see a sequel. And Control didn't perform super well, but I'm hoping that it performed well enough that they're able to, maybe with 505 Games, who I think published Control, can make a Control 2, because I really enjoyed that game, and this DLC will get me back into the game. I'm going to load it up on the 28th and play through this, because I love Alan Wake, 
I love that he was mentioned in Quantum Break, which is a very underrated game. You take out the TV elements of that game, and it's really fun. I'm of the uh, minority opinion that the ending of that game isn't trash. I enjoy that last boss fight, but yeah, shout out to Remedy for bringing Alan Wake back in a, in a way that the hardcore fans of that one-off game and the expansion, uh, Alan Wake American Nightmare, I believe. I'm just glad to see Alan Wake back in video games. It's awesome to see. Lastly, number six, the sixth takeaway. Ending with a five-minute deep dive of God... Sorry, let me start that up again. Uh, ending with a five-minute deep dive on Godfall means Spider-Man Miles Morales will likely have its gameplay be the focus of the date and price PS5 presentation. Now, the reason I say this is because outside of Spider-Man Miles Morales, Godfall is the biggest launch title for PlayStation 5. It is their third-party showpiece, this beautiful looter slasher, has all of the strengths and weaknesses of a typical launch title for a new generation of consoles. And they went in a deep dive and they explained gameplay and the different weapons and, you know, outside of where you fall in the game <laughs> in terms of excitement, it is clear to see that this was a showcase for Godfall. They put it at the very end, they gave it five minutes, and it was smart for two reasons. Putting it at the end makes it so people who want to tune out can but the people who want to check it out get that extended dive without having to rush in the pacing of the show overall, right? So that's really cool. Next up, it just, with Miles Morales, we haven't seen any gameplay for that game, and that's supposed to be their big first-party launch title going up against Halo Infinite, right? We still don't know if it's $40. We assume it is because it's closer to a Lost Legacy-type deal. We've heard rumblings that Spider-Man Remaster is going to be attached to it to justify a $60 price. We've heard that it could also be coming to PS4 day and date. We need to see gameplay for this title eventually. And I do think they're holding it close to the vest because they want that to be the breathtaking. Here's your reason to buy our box. By the way, pre-orders are available now. Go put your money down and get yourself a PS5 because you just saw an incredible Spider-Man game featuring Miles Morales. And that's where I sit in that. I think they're holding that close to the vest because... They want to wow people when they give the price, which I'm still of the opinion that's going to be $500 and lessening the blow. You do that by showing Miles Morales gameplay and wowing people and giving them that into the Spider-Verse, you know, gameplay and experience they've wanted since that movie released. So that's where I sit on all of that. State of play overall was good. A lot of great gameplay showed off the games. Not any surprises, no wow moments, just very solid. If I were to rate it from a 1 to a 10, I guess I'll give it a letter grade. A letter grade, a letter grade seems better. I would give it a flat B. And if there was one surprise in there, I would have given it a B plus. And because there was so much gameplay, I don't think it's a B minus or a C plus or anything like that. I just think it was a really solid presentation. And a lot of that was set because they set their expectations correctly and voiced that there wouldn't be anything spectacular regarding the PS5 or anything like that. So props to Sony. I know I like to give them a hard time with a lot of their anti-consumer stuff. Um, which, by the way, I guess I'll mention this here. I didn't feature it in the news, but Square Enix and PlayStation announced that Spider-Man is going to be coming exclusively to the PlayStation version of Marvel's Avengers, which I think is awful. I think it's terrible for the game. I think it's terrible for the longevity and the player base. We know that this is likely the sole reason why there's no cross-play at launch, because how are you going to make that work? Not only are Xbox players losing out, uh, PC players are losing out. So two-thirds of your audience there 
And I know people can make the complaint of like, well, there's so many more PlayStations and Xboxes, so how many people are really losing out? But look at how many PC players there are, and they're also lo losing out. And this isn't a standalone PlayStation game, so it's weird to have an Avengers game with Spider-Man, but it only being on one platform. On top of the fact that they announced that this isn't Insomniac's Peter Parker. This is a brand new Square Enix Avengers Spider-Man. So it's even less necessary for him to be console exclusive. I know people like to point out and say, well, this isn't really anti-consumer, it's pro PlayStation. And obviously that's a very PlayStation mindset to have if you're a fan of that platform. And it's awesome that you're getting it. But at the end of the day, what would other platforms getting PlayStation, how would that take away from your experience of having it? If anything, PlayStation gamers who are lauding this are kind of like kids who don't want to share their toys on the playground, you know? And I know that's not the majority of PlayStation fans. I'm not trying to paint them into a corner. I know a lot of people were upset by this. I know a lot of people have transitioned to getting the game on PlayStation now. I won't. I'm still getting it on Xbox. I wish I was strong enough in my heart to boycott the game because I am, being frank, I am pissed off that this happened. It's a very archaic system, and we don't really see exclusive content like this anymore. And Square Enix just seems to be, you know, it's a whole other conversation we can get into. It just... It's very frustrating that the world's most popular superhero is going to be tied to a specific platform in a game featuring tons of Marvel heroes. I think it's a very short-sighted move by Square Enix. I think that there's a there's a situation in which a year from that game's release, the player base is dead, and they'll announce Spider-Man's finally coming to Xbox, and it's not going to matter because their game's going to be dead. And I do think it's the type of game you need to get people invested early and heavily. Um, but, you know, we can go on and on about that. It's really unfortunate. On top of the fact there was another announcement that's not the only exclusive stuff coming to Avengers. It's going to be cosmetics and early 30-day access to uh, legendary skins for heroes. It's just kind of yuck and puts a bad taste in my mouth. Some people bring up the county argument of, well, what's the difference between that and launch, uh, like exclusive launch games or whatever? Those are full games, right? So you know... Say, for instance, uh, Ghost, uh, Ghostwire Tokyo. I know as an Xbox gamer, I'm not getting that game, period, for an amount of time, right? That's one thing. It's like, okay, I just, I will never, I won't get that game. Cool. It's different if me and you buy the same game for $60 and I know I will get less content. You know what I mean? 100%. It is free, and I'm not sitting here trying to say that we should be entitled by any means. But for your $60 and for my $60, we're getting, I'm, I'm getting less for my $60 clear as day. And that's unfortunate. And Spider-Man is such a popular character. It just, yeah, like I said, I can go on and on about this. I don't want to talk in circles. It just, it's real frustrating as for a game I was looking forward to. I know the game's been roasted on the internet and it's kind of gone a lot of goodwill recently with its positive presentations. And it kind of just deflated the air out of the tire with this one. And their excuse as to why it's happening too was, just PR, blah, blah, blah. So, anyways, with that being said, let's get into the Xbox news block. Uh, before before that, real quick, I do want to give another shout-out to that state of play. Um, the the Spider-Man deal was a Square Enix PlayStation deal, so they're both at fault for that. But I don't want that to take away from the state of play that was really solid, and I really enjoyed. Um, and I can't wait to see what that presentation for the date and price looks like. Hopefully later this month, according to rumors. Anyways, let's end off with this Xbox news block. Xbox news and updates, we're going to be going over all of this stuff. Some of them are specific news, some of them are updates we're hearing about. 
First up, the Microsoft Store is getting a complete overhaul revamp to its design on both Windows and Xbox. It makes it simpler, cleaner, and much, much faster to navigate. It's currently rolling out to Xbox Insiders and will likely roll out with or before the Xbox Series X. Now, as somebody who uses Xbox as my primary system, I've already become accustomed and familiar to Xbox's UI and dashboard and everything, and I really enjoy it. But I cannot sit here and argue against the fact that the store is low, sometimes doesn't load, sometimes needs to be reloaded. has a lot of issues to it. I'm glad it's getting revamped. I hope PlayStation does the same thing for the PlayStation store because I think that also has a lot of issues. And going into next gen, I, I hope that these stores work and function as good as they can with these new SSDs. So I'm excited. If you get a chance, Google the images. It looks really clean. It looks really sharp. It reminds me of the Xbox uh, Game Pass app that's currently available to download on your PC. And yeah, looks really clean, really dope. And I'm an Xbox insider. I haven't had the chance to, I haven't had the opportunity rather to download it. So as soon as it happens, I'll check it out and give my impressions here on the podcast. Next up, on September 15th, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subs will get access to over 100 games via xCloud on Android mobile devices. So that includes your phones as well as your tablets. And you may be wondering, Jared, why can't we do iOS? What's up with Apple? If you read into anything happening with Apple these last couple of months, they're having a huge deal with their app developers in terms of their terms of service and the price cuts that they get. And it's a whole lot of stuff. Apple recently had an excuse saying that the reason... uh, Game Pass, or sorry, xCloud couldn't be on their platform is because they can't look over each game individually on that service, which is odd considering all of those games had to pass certification with Xbox through the ESRB. So it's kind of a weird excuse on top of the fact that they don't sit there and say they have to review every movie on Netflix. Very odd. It's a standstill between Apple and Microsoft, which isn't surprising because those companies have been feuding forever. But it is unfortunate for iOS users who want to check out xCloud. And it might move people to an Android phone or device because they want to. Or instead of deciding to pick up that iPad, maybe they pick up an Android tablet. Who knows? On top of this, they did reveal three, actually more than three, accessories. There was these clips that attached your Xbox controller to put your phone in. There was some headsets. There was a controller specifically designed for xCloud. A lot of really cool stuff. Pretty affordable prices too. I was surprised that they weren't as expensive as I maybe thought they could be. But yeah, look forward to xCloud on September 15th. I'm sure I'll give my impressions on that. I have an Android phone. I think Dom has an iPhone, but we'll see what happens there. Next up, Compulsion Games, one of the studios that Xbox acquired, uh, developers of We Happy Few, which is a really interesting idea that didn't hit critically, but still a really cool idea. They're expanding from 60 to 90 employees. They're moving into a new office. They have a lot more room, so they're beefing up the team, which is exciting for the first-party development of whatever games they're working on whether that be smaller projects going straight into Game Pass or bigger titles to be unveiled and then obviously going to Game Pass. And the space has room up to fit up to 120 employees, so who knows if they maybe double their size. You know, they're originally 60, trying to get to 90. If they go to 120, that's double what they originally were. And yeah, it's going to be cool to see if Compulsion can turn from this neat little indie studio to having the resources and the backing of Microsoft to come up with an idea that they can iron out and they could become a triple A dev. And that'd be really awesome to see. And they're making strides going from 60 to 90 employees. 30 people might not seem like a lot, but in the world of development, 
that's more animators, more developers, more engineers, more people on the PR side, more people on the back end, planning development, like it could go a long way for them and it's exciting to see them expanding. Next up, Grounded, which was a game we talked about at the top of the show. Um, it was developed by 13 people over the course of two years at Obsidian Entertainment, which is incredible. And it's even more incredible because upon its release out of early access, it hit 1 million plus players in 48 hours and was the number one selling game on Steam globally. This is a trend we're seeing where Sea of Thieves came out, was doing super well on Steam. We saw Halo 3 come out on the Master Chief Collection, doing super well on Steam. Xbox moving their games to PC, and especially Steam specifically, has done a great job for them, and the ROI, which is the return on investment for Obsidian, is already through the roof. We have Outer Worlds, which sold 2.8 million units, which obviously Microsoft didn't get a cut of fully because that was published by Private Division. But then you have Grounded, which hit the top of the Steam charts, as well as had over a million players for this neat little Honey, I Shrunk the Kids survival game in early access. And then on top of that, they showed off a Vout at the Xbox Game Showcase, which looks incredible and could be the real first competitor to Skyrim that we've had since Skyrim's release. Awesome stuff. Super excited for Grounded. I'm going to get into my impressions before we hit the end of the show, but awesome to see the success there. Next up, 343 Industries. This is the big news of the week. Um, 343 Industries announced Halo Infinite's multiplayer will be free to play and target 120 FPS on Xbox Series X. I'm going to read you their exact tweet. Halo is for everyone. We can confirm Halo Infinite multiplayer will be free to play and will support 120 FPS on Xbox Series X. More details will be shared later. This came after a lot of rumors surfaced that it would be free to play and a retailer kind of leaked it via an image. This is the smartest move Xbox could have done. In order to get Halo back into the mainstream, especially esports and on Twitch, you need to have player engagement and making it free to play a triple A primetime shooter classic will not only bring in the player base it'll bring in a whole new generation of kids who didn't grow up on the halo twos and threes and have seen four and five kind of lose their way with the halo franchise and they can hop in for free and fall in love with the series they probably never even tried and i think it's incredible it's going to be a good thing for xbox moving into the next generation and it'll bolster the launch of the xbox series x it'll even bolster xbox one as well player base because you're gonna have those people who if you can't afford to get the new console you probably can't afford to buy too many brand new retail games but boy if you have warzone free to play which is a call of duty battle royale you have now halo free to play you're sitting pretty on you know current gen consoles when next gen comes out so it's really incredible i think this is awesome we'll probably see more details at the xbox series x release and uh, release date and price event, just like we'll see Miles Morales for PlayStation. I just think it's awesome that we're hitting into next gen with some really cool games, and hopefully they both give us reasons to buy them. With the Xbox Series X, you, if you have Game Pass, you don't have to spend money on Halo single player or multiplayer, which is incredible. Um, that's it for this week's news. Before we go, I did want to give my grounded impressions real quick. I did get a chance to hop into early access. So off the top, you start with four characters to choose from. Max, who's this sporty Latino character. Willow, who's this goth girl. Um, Pete, who's an, an, the nerdy white kid. And then Hoops, uh, who's a, a sporty girl as well. Actually, I think Hoops is Latino, and I think Max is probably African-American. 
Um, but anyways, it's really good representation. I ended up going with Pete the nerd, the nerdy little white boy, which is really fun. Um, so some notes that I put, it's manageable survival, meaning that you're not always hunting down water and food and worrying about it. It's a little bit loose, a little bit more friendly, which makes sense because the art style seems like it's aimed at a younger audience and somebody who's not as hardcore into survival, right? It's baby's first survival, just like Pokemon is baby's first RPG, just like Minecraft is Minecraft. Um, next up, they committed to the art style. Obviously, it's not a, a showpiece by any means, but that art style works for the type of game you're playing. It feels right for you being this little tiny person in this backyard. Plenty of awesome surprises. Um, one criticism I do have is the menus aren't really intuitive or snappy. It is an early access. That's something that can totally change given enough time and feedback. So I'm not too worried about that. Uh, if you feel small and vulnerable, which is huge because when you have a game with this concept, you don't want it to feel as if everything's just there for novelty reasons. The world does feel gigantic. You feel so small. The first time you run into a dangerous, aggressive bug like a spider or maybe a soldier ant, it scares you and you freak out and you try running away because they are larger than life. And uh, yeah, I just think they nailed that aspect of it. There's really cool landmarks and it gives you a sense of exploration and wants you to explore the world because you don't know what's hiding behind every you know chestnut or blade of grass and you could come uh, come across some really cool stuff and they play with the perspective of being so tiny in really fascinating ways with objects you wouldn't assume to be these jaw-dropping reveals but because you're so small they play to the audience really well there's a real sense of progression throughout my couple of hours with the game i felt as if i was learning and growing and being able to craft and upgrade and being able to tackle the world in more straight line ways and i have to tippy toe around and be careful where i built armor and weapons and i was like okay world come at me i'm ready to explore and find new cool things there's plenty of rust i want to be completely straightforward with that there is a lot to improve with this game there's a lot of rough edges there's some texture pop in there's some uh glitches that happen with the game it doesn't always run the best once again, it's early access. I hope they iron these things out. I trust in Obsidian. But what I want to say to end this all off at the end of the day, it's fun. You know, this isn't going to be the most polished experience out of the gate. Hopefully it eventually gets there. This game is just pure survival fun. And I do think that this game could be highly successful. We've seen how, how it has been early on with substantial, awesome updates and with the polish behind it. This could really captivate audiences and take the gaming landscape by storm in a way, obviously not to the extent Minecraft has because, you know, very few games have done that. But I do think that this game could be a little surprise for Game Pass and the Xbox platform moving forward. And imagine what Grounded could be like five years from now when they add a second backyard or they add other stuff or they partner with the brands and you can end up finding like Toy Story to toys in the backyard. I don't know. I think there's a lot of potential for this game. I think the core of it is incredible. The fact that 13 people made this game is astounding. And I think Obsidian understands that maybe this team, this game will need its own team, right? And they hire for this team specifically. And Microsoft could have a sleeper hit on their hands. And yeah, I loved my time with that. I want to hop back in. Story stuff was really cool too. I want to mention for a survival game, the narrative of it is interesting. It's only about an hour of narrative, but they say they're going to add more. And that's that Obsidian touched the survival genre, right? Adding that level of narrative that gets you intrigued and wants you to know more. So, yeah, grounded, thumbs up, looking incredible, can't wait to play more, and can't wait for the updates. 
and to see it improve over the years. Thank you guys for listening. As always, please head on over to YouTube, search Controlled Interest, will pop right up. Hit the bell notification so you know when we upload new videos. Hit the like button if you enjoyed the video. Leave us comments on our videos. I read every one, guys. I'll reply to you. We're so small right now that I can get to you guys and we can have actual meaningful conversations. And with you guys is the only way we're going to grow. So every like, every comment, other ways you can do it is go to iTunes, leave us our five-star review. I know it's difficult. I know it's a little bit laborious for people who just like to intake entertainment and move on. But if you would take the two seconds to head on over to iTunes, search us up, leave us a review, you will not understand how beneficial that'll be to us. Dom and I do this every week. We don't make any money from it. We do it out of the passion of our hearts, but we do want it to grow. And I do hope you can take time out of your schedule to at least leave us a review. Um, and if not, maybe liking the YouTube video, just something, guys. I really appreciate you guys listening every week. Uh, lastly, on Twitter, you can follow us collectively at CTRLINT. That's Controlled Interest Abbreviated. And you can follow me at Jared underscore. Thank you guys. As always, episode 201, we've done over 200 episodes of this podcast, and I love doing it every week. I truly do. At this point, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't love it 200 episodes in. And yeah, catch you guys next time.